the podcast of the Doral Vineyard Church. This is a message by Denver Lee. Last week, I had a message, the, the story of the Bible, and, and in that message, I talked about the, the central theme of the Bible and just how important it is that we understand the central theme of the Bible and to not get lost in all the details and then allow the details to pull us apart, right? So the Bible has one central theme that runs from beginning to end, and there's a bunch of other things that are happening, but I think that we we have to first and foremost focus on this one string that is stringing throughout the entire Bible. And we said that the Bible begins with and responds to tragedy in the garden, right? that the, it, it, it begins with and responds to tragedy in the garden. So, so what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve, everything else that happens is a response to that. Everything that happens is a response to sin coming into the world. Everything. And, and I questioned if, if, if the scenario with, with Adam and Eve didn't happen, would we still have the Bible? Would, there be, would we see all the things that we see? Or would the Bible look the same? And it wouldn't. Because everything is in a response to that. And the second thing we said that the Bible is a story of a reconciling relationship between God kind and mankind. And so from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the entire purpose is that the broken relationship that happened in the garden begins to unite every chapter. Every chapter we get pictures of that. We get images of that, right? And, and the purpose of all of it is that God wants to reconcile his relationship to his humanity, and, and I don't want to oversimplify it, but I do want to simplify it because sometimes it can be so complicated that no one gets what this whole thing is about. Sometimes I think we can complicate it so much that we try to preach the gospel and people don't even know what we're talking about anymore because we don't even know the central problem. We don't know the central theme. And, the, and then we start to present Jesus. Yeah, we start to present Jesus as an answer to something when people don't even know the question. Like Jesus is the answer. Like to To what? Right? So, so, so we, we have to understand the central theme of Scripture. Number three, the Bible tells us of God unstoppable, unrelenting, and victorious love for us. That that is the story of Scripture. The story of Scripture is that something happened in the garden and God did not stop loving us. And so we see him moving through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. He moved through the prophets. He, he, and, and, and he comes in the New Testament in the person of Christ, the final solution to the problem. And then we see Jesus handling the problem perfectly well on the cross. And then we have the, the, the Pauline letters and, and, and all of the New, the New Testament letters acts and everything showing us and telling us how that solution now looks and plays out in our in our life that is the purpose of this that is what the whole thing is about every chapter every chapter has hints of this as we go along and so today i want to talk about in this reconciliation in that the bible is about the reconciliation between god kind and mankind i, I want to talk about how this reconciliation happens how how does how does a broken relationship with god get reconciled and the title of my message is mediation and oftentimes when we think of mediation, for those of you who are, who are, uh, who, who your parents have been divorced or you've probably been through a divorce, you understand mediation is a process. Um, or, or if you, if you've been in a fight in school, like I have, I got in a fight in school. I remember, um, I was in a, I was in the, um, it was like a gym slash auditorium place and, and we're in there and some kid said something crazy to me. 
Like he turned around and he said something. I was, I was kind of mad anyway, but he turned around and said something crazy and I kicked him. I just kicked him and he flew over the, the, the chairs and I got suspended from school and, and, and then I went back and then we had to sit down in the counselor's office through mediation. And now I had to look this kid in the face and like, they're trying to get us to be able to have class together. And I'm like, I'm sorry I kicked you and made everybody laugh at you. And, and he's like, I'm sorry for what I said. And, and then the counselor was serving as the mediator. He was mediating the relationship between me and this person. And so the, the Bible makes it clear that there is indeed one central problem and that Jesus is the central solution. And, and, and so Jesus is the mediator of this solution. And it, and it makes it clear also that Jesus is the solution to the problem, right? So the problem of sin, Jesus is the solution. And, and, and it's important that we diagnose what the problem is, because if we don't diagnose what the problem is, then we will mistreat the, the problem. One, one preacher said, whatever we misdiagnose, we'll mistreat, right? If, if you go to the doctor and they think you have a problem and they misdiagnose it, what are they going to do? They're going to mistreat it. They're going to give you the wrong medication. They're going to send you to the wrong specialist. They're going to do the wrong thing, all because of a misdiagnosis. And so whatever you misdiagnose, you're going to mistreat. And I think if, if, if I could just put my message out there, <laughs> save us some time, um, if you, if you feel the problem is people, if you have a people problem, you have misdiagnosed the problem and you will mistreat people. Really simple. If you think the problem is that people sinned in the garden and, and when you look around you, you're, you're seeing, ah, oh, well, well, these are the, the people who are causing this problem. It's the government. It's the man in the White House that has this problem. It's, it's, it's this person. It's my neighbor. They have the problem. It's my boss. He just won't stop. And it's my coworker. And, and, and this person pulled me down and this person talked about me and it was my mother and it was my father. And I, and I came from a broken home and, 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 and my, my, my uncle did this and, and this person didn't love me. If you have a people problem, you will mistreat people. And that is anticlimactic to the message that Jesus come to share when he says to love. So I want to begin with um, uh, the Beatitudes, things like Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 43, Jesus begins, he says, you have heard it said to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And he causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Jesus says that you ought to pray for people, right? And he says when you pray for, for people, it's for the purposes that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Like that's why you ought to, to pray for them, so that all of us can be children of our Father in heaven. And then in Ephesians 6, um, Paul, and, and this, this is a good one because Paul, so if Ephesians is, is one of those controversial verses that I, 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 chapters that I have some difficulty with in talking to people because they say that, that Paul is endorsing slavery. And so he's saying, you know, that slaves ought to be this way to their masters. And a lot of that is because people don't understand the, the context of scripture and they're thinking like American slavery when they read in the Bible, but that's a whole other topic. But, but in, in talking about slavery and this controversial topic, Paul says right after that, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord, if Ephesians 6, verse 10, and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme, right? And, and, and so he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers and against authorities and against powers in the dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. 
And he said, you're not fighting against people. That's why I can tell slaves to love their masters. That's why Jesus can say, pray for those who hate you, because, because I, I, I don't want you to focus in on the wrong target. Because if you focus in on the wrong target, you're going to put on this armor and you're going to do battle with people when I'm calling you to love people. And you're going to start to attack the ones who I'm sending you. It's, it's, it's kind of like you, you, you send out an army to, to, to fight against the people and they turn around and they start fighting against each other. That's what the enemy's intention is. And then here's, he, and then here's the highest part. If you're not paying attention, listen to this, because this is, this is going to be it for, for most of us, I feel. And I want to respond to this in the ministry time. So I want you to prepare your heart for this. When you make yourself the enemy, when, when you become the problem, and when all you can see is what you have done to get you to where you are, and then you put a target on yourself, And Jesus say, no, 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 that is, that you're not people, it's not a people problem. And you're a person. And so you're not disqualified from that. And so for those of us, we take the blame off of people, right? As Christians, we start to understand that I war not against flesh and blood. And we take the blame off of ourselves and say, well, maybe it's me. It's either them or it's me, but something is wrong here. And Jesus is saying, it's not a people problem. You've got to look past people especially you, the person of yourself. And whether it's your children, you see problems with your children, you blame their friends, you blame the shows they watch, blame the games they play, you see the generation around us. We say it's people, 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 whether it's your spouse, right? It, 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 our marriage is this kind of way. It's, it's not a people problem. Your friends, your coworkers, whatever it is, this is not a people problem. First Timothy 2 verse, verse 1 says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. Everybody say all people, for kings and all those in authority. You have to understand that authority in this time is not the people you pray for. Those are the people that, that you call down fire on and you curse them, right? Paul, Paul is saying, all right, let's erase this because now we're finding out we don't have a people problem. So the problem is not the authority and the government, but I want you to pray for them and, and intercede for them and, and, and give thanks for them, for all the kings in authority. And he says, that, so that, pray for them so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. And he says, this is good and it pleases our Savior who wants all people, say all people. He wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And here's the problem. When we have a people problem and we express the people problem, no one comes to the knowledge of truth because you're ministering a lie. No one's going to come to the, to the revelation of Jesus because if Jesus comes to solve the problem of sin and we're presenting the problem of people, then we're never going to get to the truth of what Jesus comes to do. Does that make sense? So, so Jesus comes to solve the problem of sin if, 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 if we are holding fast to the fact that it is my in-laws. I know it's my in-laws. I know it's them. It's, it's them. They, they are terrible. It's, if you hold fast to that and you minister that to the people who God has called you to, and if you don't believe God has called you to people, let me tell you that he has. God has called you to people. How many of you work? How many of you go to school? Have, have family members? Have neighbors? God calls you to people right? And the people that God calls you to, you're going to minister this thing to. And he says, if you minister the people problem, then no one's ever going to need Jesus because Jesus doesn't come to deal with the people problem. Does that make sense? Like, and, and, and so we can't present and, and we can't have a people problem 
For, the, for those of you who, and I think many in here are, are probably those who your friends will call you and ask for advice and what should I do when this thing is happening. Like, don't direct them down the road of, well, it's this person. You got to get rid of this person. Don't, don't direct them down the road of people problem. We, we war not against flesh and blood. They need to understand the real problem so that they can understand the real Jesus. So, so Paul says truth is known when we know what the real problem is. Right? So he says he, he wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And then in verse 5 he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. And that's the man Jesus Christ, verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Say all people. Right? And, and, and so you can pray for those certain people, but whatever else you're doing, whatever else you're doing to fix the people problem or to fix the problems in your life, nothing else is going to work. Nothing else works. I, I've, I've, I've kind of concluded that every single problem, and, and this is how I, I started to have, have to look at life, is that every single problem, once you start thinking about all of them, every single problem, I want you to think about overseas, I want you to think about locally, think about your job, think about whatever problems, every problem. Think about your personal problems, your personal struggles, your personal hang-ups, every problem, all of them, business problems, think about your bank account, every problem. What are some other problems? Uh, bank account again? Think about that other bank account, right? <laughs> all your problems, every single problem. This is really important. That's why I'm stressing it. Every problem stems from the problem of sin. Every single one. There's not a problem that doesn't stem from the problem of sin. That's why when Jesus comes, he tells the Pharisees, I don't have time to play and judge people and deal with people in the way you want me to deal with them. Why are you eating with sinners? Why are you? He's like, I'm, it's not a people problem. You see a people problem. I'm coming to deal with the bigger problem. I'm coming to deal with the problem of sin. And so he who knew no sin becomes sin, and he takes care of the problem of sin. And, and so we can't be as the Pharisees who still think that we have people problems, so Jesus needs to deal with people problems. Jesus deals with the core of the problem, which is sin. And, and, and by praying for them, you partner with Christ in the ministry of reconciliation. So Paul says to pray for them. So he says there has to be a point where you start to love people. Right? And I've been encouraging us. I've been encouraging our body. Like, if you haven't heard this from me before, I've been encouraging you over and over and over again to force yourself to love the people that are hard to love. Like, you have to. It's not, it's not even an option. You have to. And, and I thank you for those of you who've taken on the challenge. Some of you have shared, like, I, yeah, this, I've, I've really been struggling to love this person. Yeah, keep on struggling to love them because then you're going to get to the root of what the problem is and people will no longer be the problem. This is going to get exciting in a second, I promise. Just, 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 just keep on listening. And, and, and so Romans 5, verse 12, if you go to Romans 5. So let's, let's look at the central problem here, right? Let's look at the central problem because that's what, like, ministry, like for those of you who, who, are, who are in ministry, if we're going to do the thing that Jesus called us to do, to go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, if we're, we're going to go out and preach the gospel, if we're, if we're going to make the love of God known, 
Like if we're, if we're going to go into some of those questionable places and bring the glory and the goodness of God, like how, how, many, how many of you, like that's what you signed up for? Like when I became a Christian, like I signed up to go and make God known. Like I, I need to make Jesus known. All right, four people. Awesome. I'll take you on my team, right? Like, like I'm ready to make Jesus known. I came, man, I, I came to some conclusion. Uh, Chris, Chris and my wife and I, we're driving in the, in the car yesterday and we're, we're just having an exchange. And I was like, I, I can't find any other reason for, for my life. Like, like what else am I going to do? Like, like, what else am I going to do? But like, I, there's the best thing I can do is just live a life that is going to make Jesus known. Like, yeah, all right. So we can, again, I, 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 I don't want you to just amen it. I'm like, but like everything laid down to make him known. Like I need to make Jesus known at any expense, at all expense. Everyone needs to know him. If you, don't, if you don't have the pulsing of your heart that's saying, everybody needs to get this. It's like when you go to a good restaurant and the steak is so good, you call your friend, like, you've got to go to this restaurant. If you don't go to this restaurant, you're never going to have the best steak in the world. And the service is good and the wine is good. Everything is good at this restaurant. And the price is awesome. You've got to go. And you email them, you tax them, you bring coupons and give it to your friends in church. You've got to go to this restaurant. Like, like, that's how I started to feel about, I was like, you've got to know Jesus. Like, you, you've got to experience the love of God, the creator. Like, there's nothing else that, what else am I going to do with this life? Like, what else am I going to do? Like, I'm going to, like, nothing else is worth it. Like, I, I came to those conclusions. Nothing else is worth it than to make Jesus known. Like, and, and I'm like, that's all I, I just want to make him known. Like any platform that I have, any opportunity that I get, I just, I'm like, God, like I, there's like, you're, you're, you're everything. Like what else, what else, what, what other value, what else when I die, I can look back and say, you know what? I'm glad I did that. So glad. Like when I get to, when I, when I get to be with, with Jesus and I see all his glory, like I, I know I'm going to have a lot of regrets. Because I'm going to look back and say, I should have just spent more money here. I shouldn't have cared as much about, like, like seeing him, the man, the God in the flesh who loves me so much and pours himself out for me. Like he's all majestic and he's all glorious and he's all goodness. Like when I look back at my life, like, like, was it worth it? Like at the end, was it worth it? Like for those of you who are married, you get married to this wonderful person and you look back at everyone else who you were with and you're like, ah, it wasn't worth it. Like I could have saved everything I had for you. Like that was my story. Like my story was like, I married my wife and I was like, ah, I wasted it on all these other girls. I just wasted everything. I had my, my, my passion, my time, my money. I, I, I wish I would have met you earlier because I wasted everything on these. I don't even remember their names. I wasted everything on them. I gave them so much. And I think I'm going to get to heaven and I'm like, Jesus, I wasted everything. I went out and I did crazy things for whatever reason. Like, I just wasted everything when I could have spent it on you. Could have spent my whole life on you. The problem begins with sin. Sorry, we're going to go a little longer today. We, we, we had some other homekeeping stuff that we had to do. The problem of sin comes from and begins with God. All right. The, the problem of sin begins with God. All things begin with God. And the, the problem of, of sin, if, 
the problem of sin started when, when God began to speak. So Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, in the same way came to all people because all sinned. And to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there was no law. And so Paul is saying that people were sinning before they had the law, right? And so sin existed before Moses, before you knew everything that you know to be a sin. Paul says sin was already in the world, right? And so we have to have a different context of sin then rather than like, you shouldn't be doing this. Like, well, the Bible says this. Paul says sin existed before the Bible said anything. So, so if the only context you have for sin is what the Bible says, Paul says, you got you, you to gotta understand the central problem here. Because he said sin existed before the law was given. And, 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 and he goes on, if you read throughout all Romans 5, we see that sin occurred when God speaks. God speaks and God, God gives an instruction. And just, just consider this. God gives an instruction and, and he says, you can eat of any tree, but don't eat of this one. Right? And, and when God speaks and gives an instruction, he, he, if there's no possibility to rebel against what God says, then there'll be no purpose of God saying anything. Like, if they had no, if, if, they, if they had, if they could not have rebelled against God, God would not have said anything. We never speak to things that have no option but to obey us. Like, I, I don't talk to my TV. When I push the button, it better turn on. That's why I don't talk to it. Like, I don't talk to the chair I'm about to sit in. Like, I'm going to sit in there. You have no choice but to hold me up. But then when I get ready to engage people, I have to talk to you because you have, you have options. You, you may or may not want to, like, hey, can you go turn that TV on? I have to tell you because, because you may or may not. There's an opportunity for you to not go in, in, in alignment with what I'm saying. So the moment that God begins to speak, there's a possibility for rebellion so it begins with, with God who speaks. And, and here's the problem. If God never speaks, if he never says anything, so you're saying, well, then why doesn't he just not speak? Because when he speaks, he opens up the door for rebellion. So God, if, if you were really intelligent, you would just not speak. So then there will be no rebellion. But then if there is no conversation, there is no relationship. And so he has to talk to you. Imagine if I was in my house and I never talked to my wife and she was just like my remote control. You would come to my house and say, pastor, 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 relationship, you've got to talk. I'd say, well, but if I say something, she may rebel against me. <laughs> All right. <laughs> verse, verse 13, Ephesians 5 says, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. And then in verse 14, he, he talks about people who did not sin by breaking the command. And when the Bible uses the word sin, it's referring to two different things, right? So, so one of the biggest problems I, I have with, with teaching this and kind of explaining this is that the Bible uses the word sin to talk about two different things, right? Um, and that can get confusing because then we hear sin and we, we, we have one dimension on sin. So I'm going to explain a little bit of this and, and use two different languages to kind of help us to grasp what Paul is saying all throughout Romans 5 here. Um, sin is twofold. Sin is atmosphere, and then sin is action, right? So there's atmosphere sin, and then there's action sin. And then the atmosphere fuels the action, and the action fuels the atmosphere, right? So there's sin in the world, but then people can also commit sin. Sin entered into the world, and when, when Paul said sin entered into the world, he's not saying 
the sin of your choice finally came down. He, he's saying the atmosphere was changed. And he's, and he's saying sin entered into the world and so all have sinned. He's not talking about sin entered into the world and so this child who was just born has like whatever sin, like he didn't steal anything. No, he's saying the child was birthed into an atmosphere of sin because sin is in the world. And so he now sinned. And so when he says all have sinned, he says, well, so people ask, well, what about the babies? Like, what is God going to do with the babies? Well, well, everyone was born into this atmosphere of sin. And so, so when I say, yeah, that baby has sinned, like it gets complicated because then people are thinking, well, what, what, what did this poor little baby do? Right? So it's atmosphere and then it's also action. And, and so evil, evil produces the atmosphere. It is, it is evil that comes in and it persuades our ability to, to obey God. Right? It's evil that comes in and says, hey, you ought to do this instead of what God is saying. God is saying, go, you ought to stay. Like God is saying that you ought to try this, like you ought to just stay where you are because it's safe, right? Like evil is the thing that comes in and produces rebellion. Evil comes in and produces rebellion and this automatically violates love. So this, this automatically violates love. Now let me, now if this may seem minute, like God says something and you don't do it, and so, like, it, it might, like, what's the big deal? Like, if, if they just ate one fruit, like, God could have said, hey, I forgive you. Like, mend it up really quick. Like, like, what's the big deal, right? Like, it might seem minute, like, if I ask you to do something and you don't do it, like, no one's going to expect the whole universe to be thrown off tilt, right? But then when God is the person speaking, the God who, who upholds and who creates and, and, and who runs the entire universe, the moment that like I talked about love. I always try to explain love and the Trinity. Um, one of the greatest pictures that the, the Lord has given me is, is, just, is, is just if you imagine this triune being, Father, Son, and Spirit, and, and just imagine them circular. You know, like you ever seen the glow sticks where you're like, people are like, like, like they're raving and they're doing the whole glow sticks, right? And it's like this big circle and all they're doing is like they're perfectly loving one another, right? And so the Father pours everything out into the Son, the son pours everything out into the spirit. The spirit pours everything back up into the father, right? Like, like that's what the Trinity looks like. It's this triune love. And this is how God existed before he spoke anything, before the world began. It's this triune love affair between, and they're loving each other so much that they look like one, right? And, 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 and so the father empties everything he has into the son and he reserves nothing for himself, he saves nothing. Everything he is, every dime he has, every passion he has, everything he ever was for all eternity, he takes it and pours it into the son. And so the father becomes nothing. And when the father becomes nothing and Jesus is everything, Jesus then takes it and he pours it into the spirit. And Jesus becomes nothing and he pours everything. And, and then the spirit knows that, hey, I can empty myself freely and give it back to the father because I don't have to be afraid to be empty because I, I trust that this other one is gonna fill me. And, and so that's what love looks like. When you fall in love, like, like, like that's why when you marry someone and you love them, you put them on your bank account, like you give them checks, they have access to all your stuff. Because like, I'm going to give you everything I am because I trust you and I know you're going to take care of me, right? And it's this, but then when that is violated. So when God speaks and this, and, and, and the God's plan, God's plan has always been for this perfect circle for us. He, he said, I'm going to create Men, and then I'm going to take them into this thing. And, and you all are going to get caught up in this fire, fierce love affair. And so I'm going to create you, and I'm going to suck you into this thing. And then I'm going to pour into you, and you're going to pour into Jesus. Jesus is going to pour into the Father, and this whole thing. This is, and then you're going to be expressing life on earth. 
I'm going to expand this empire called God. And when I expand this empire called God, I'm going to include you into it. And all you've got to do is not be afraid to expose everything because God's going to fill you. Like, this is your example, right? And so be like the sun. The sun fears nothing. He doesn't fear being empty. He doesn't fear being poor. I shared last week, I've never met anyone who's homeless and was like, I, I just gave up too much, right? Like, I gave away too much money, wrote too many checks to the Red Cross, gave to too many churches. I was too generous. That's why I'm poor and homeless. No one's ever, that's no one's story. I've met possibly hundreds of homeless people on, on the street. That's never been anyone's story. If you know anyone who that's their story, please come and tell me so I can apologize to everyone right? But if you empty yourself before God, confident that he's going to fill you, that was God's plan for us. And so disobedient now means something. Disobedient now is not just you not doing what God says. It's you messing up this whole big, perfect, circular love affair, right? You're messing up this whole thing. What are those called? The gear things that they grind together? What are they called? The gears? Is that what they call gears? Okay. Right? So like, it's like gears, like they're perfectly rotating with one another. And you imagine that on a big machine, like if you put something in one of them, the whole thing gets thrown off. If you break one of their spokes, everything gets messed up because they're all interconnected and they turn together, right? And they belong together. So the moment that one of those gears go, go off track or go off loop or break a belt, anytime anything is introduced into that, it throws the whole system off. And so that's why sin is the problem. Because sin threw off this whole big gear system that God had going. And so rebellion, it, it, and, and I know that we use the, the language of that, it, it, it separates us from God. But I, th- I think if we could use um, something to understand this better for the purposes of going out and doing what, what God called us to do, it doesn't ruin people's relationship with God. It just changes the context. So you, you, you imagine people who are married and they have kids. Like, they can never, their relationship can never really be nothing, right? Because if they both love the kids, like, you're still going to have to, at some point, deal with this other person. All that happens is it changes the context of your relationship. It doesn't end your relationship altogether when you get a divorce with kids. Like, your relationship is now changed. You still have some type of a relationship. It's just not a good one. I say that to say that I believe that every person has a relationship with God, but it's just not a good one. Because most people have some idea about God. And for those who refuse to believe in him, it's because they have a bad relationship with him and not that they have no relationship with him. And so Jesus comes to mediate. That's why he's the mediator. Not because you have no relationship, because you have a broken and a hurt relationship with God. And so he comes to mediate that relationship. And so everyone has this relationship with God and nothing else can mend people's relationship with God, but God himself. Nothing. Nothing. So you you can give all the good advice you want to. Give all the good advice. Give them all the books to read. If you read this books, it'll change your life. Give them all the books you want. Bring bring them to church. Oh, this pastor is going to... Nope. You got to come to this small group. The small group... Nope. Nothing else can mend broken relationships with God, but God himself. This is, this is why, this is why you've got to put your hope in Jesus. This is why it's not optional for you to put your hope in Jesus. 
You must put your hope in Jesus because nothing else will mend your broken relationships or people's broken relationships with God. Nothing. Nothing else will do it. If you do everything that Jesus said, everything. Let's say we find someone who was able to do everything Jesus said. Still won't mend people's broken relationship with God. Still won't mend your broken. If you do, if I find someone who can say, I'm going to take the Bible, I'm going to do everything it says, your relationship with God still will not be fixed. Won't. Because it is not the law that does it. Because your good works are nothing before God. It doesn't mend this relationship. And so that's why you need to have Jesus this is, this is why Jesus is the central solution to the problem. So behave better if you want to. And I advise you to behave better because if you don't behave better, it just causes more friction in the body, especially when you're here. Behave good when you're here, right? But, be, but, behave, but don't put your hope in behaving better. If you behave better, it doesn't make you closer to God. There's only one thing that makes you closer to God, mediates this relationship, and that is the man, Jesus. We got that? There's nothing else. So don't put your hope in your good advice. Don't put your hope in my good advice. Don't put your hopes in the books that people are giving you to read. Like don't give people books to read and ah, this is gonna change your life. Nope, no. It, now all these things can aid the process. They can help the process. But you still at some point need Jesus. And so 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is one God and one mediator between God and man. And this is the person, Jesus Christ himself, who gave himself as a ransom for many. And Jesus is not a third-party mediator. So I talked about the fight I, I had in middle school. My counselor was a third-party mediator. Jesus is not a third-party mediator. I find that many in church have this idea that, that, that God is like this angry person who just wants to like pour out like all kinds of judgment and wrath, like the, the wrath of God before man. Like God wants to pour out wrath. Like, and I get it. I appreciate it. And I, and I think it's a good example. I really can't see. Um, and, and, it's, and it's a really good ex example. But like one, one pastor ex explained it like this. And, and it's good. It's a really good one, right? He says, imagine there's a dam and there's water behind the dam. And you're standing before the dam. And, and the water behind the dam is the wrath of God. And he said, at some point, the, the wrath of God, like the dam broke. And, and as the water is coming, the ground opened and swallowed it up. And that's Jesus. I think that that's true. It's beautiful. It's excellent. But I think that if we limit our understanding to something like that, God becomes the bad guy. Jesus is the good guy who saves me from God. Jesus doesn't save you from God. I see some puzzled faces. You got, you got to understand, Jesus doesn't come to save you. He's not a third-party mediator is what I'm saying. The, the work that Jesus comes to do, he does it in himself, right? It, he, he is, and again, my, my desire today is that you would just fall more in love with Jesus, right? So just, just, just soak this up, right? This, Jesus is the work that, that is done. Before he goes to the cross, before he, do, before, he, he, before he who knew no sin became all sin and died and said it is finished, before he does any of that, I don't want you to move too fast in thinking about Jesus. I, I, I need you to start just, just with Christmas, right? His very presence begins to mediate the relationship because he is fully God and he's fully man. And in one person, the relationship begins to mediate. 
we see the two parties begin to come back together in this one man. That's why he is your only hope to connect with God. Because he's the only thing that can stand rightfully between you and God. Nothing else. Because everything else is either God or one of you. If I'm drowning, I don't need you all to be in the water with me. I need someone who's not in the water. I need someone who's on the banks to come save me. So if, if all of us are drowning together, don't you grab me. Don't you grab me. You leave me alone and let me drown because you will pull me down with you. So if we're all drowning, we all better be looking to something outside the water to save us. But then here's the funny part. The thing outside the water has to come into the water to save us. It can't save you by staying outside on the banks. And so we, we need to have this perfect mediator that can kind of be on the banks and in the water at the same time if he's ever going to bridge and mend this relationship. If, if, he's, if, if he's ever going to get me onto dry land, he has to be able to get into water while still staying on land. This is who Jesus is. This is why you have to have Jesus to solve this problem. This is why if, if anyone wants to have a relationship with God, it has to happen through Jesus. Because he, just in and of himself, just, just being divine and being human, he begins to solve the problem of sin. And he, and he does a really good job. And, and Romans 5 verse 15 says, But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, and overflow to many? It's like, it's, if, if you saw what Adam can do, if, if you saw, and, 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 and Adam was in the water, Adam didn't have one foot on and one foot off. If you saw what Adam can do, then, then here's what Jesus can do. This is, this is why you have to put your hope in him because he's not just a second Adam. I, I know Paul says he's a second Adam, but Paul is not saying that like there's, there's, there's Adam and then there's like a new, he's saying like Jesus is, is the second, he, he's, he's come to undo what Adam did, but he's like Adam 2.0, right? Like he's an upgraded version of who Adam was because he could do something that Adam could never have done. Verse 16 said, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin and the judgment that, that followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the, gift followed that, but the gift that followed many trespasses brought justification. It says Adam did one thing and messed up everything. But then here's all of us. We did many things. And this one man is going to clean up much. Now you tell me which is greater. If, if Adam could affect all through one sin, says Jesus is coming and he's not dealing with a one sin problem. He's, he's dealing with the atmosphere and the action. He says, Adam committed one action to release an atmosphere. He's saying, when Jesus comes, Jesus, G Jesus is the atmosphere and he deals with the action. He's saying, G Jesus becomes the totality of the solution to every single problem that you could ever have. If we go to uh, 2 Timothy, we'll end with, with this. Uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 8 says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He says, rather join me in the suffering for, by, for, for uh, the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 9, he says, he has saved us and called us into a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purposes and grace. And this grace was given to us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time. And, 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 and Jesus' love, God's love for us, predates sin. 
says, and here is, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. Before, b- before sin came into the world, God's love for us was so strong. God's, God's love for you is not a response to sin. God didn't see you messing up and, and then said, I, I need to start loving them so they can get better. God, God's love is not responsive. This is, this is what makes it so strong. Because he didn't start to love you at some point. See, God's love was so strong that when problems came up, it was already done. Like the Bible says that he was slain before the foundations of the world for you. Listen, listen to me. Look up right here. He was dying for you before there was anything to die for. Before there was ever anything to even die for. He's like, because I need you to know the depths to which I love you. This is why sin can't stop him, because he's not responding to sin. If I could just go one step deeper, when the Bible says that Jesus is filled with grace and truth, and, and a great, great grace and truth are not the solution to the broken relationship, right? Like God didn't begin to be gracious at some point in history. God was always gracious, and, and so our definition of, 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 of grace being that, that God gives us even things that we don't deserve, right? Like, I love that, and it's beautiful, but it still has the context of us having deserved something or deserve nothing. If 1 Peter 1.20 says, He chose us before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Like he already died for you. He already expresses love for you. Jesus came so that you would know. So that you would have an idea as to the extent to which God loves you. This is why Jesus came. And so, yes, he fixes the problem of sin. But he doesn't come primarily to fix the problem of sin. Just by coming, he fixes the problem of sin because everything he is fixes the problem of sin. Just, just by existing, he fixes the problem of sin. But he comes to play out history in a way so that you may know that you are radically loved by the creator God himself. This is, this is why you've got to get this. This is, this is why, this is why we, we, can't, we can't look at people in light of sin and have a people problem. Now do you see why people problem is so minute? When you're, when you're talking about this great love that existed, uh, 2 Timothy 1.8 says, says that... Um, he saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purposes and grace. He couldn't, find, he couldn't find a reason to love you outside of himself. You weren't even a reason for him to love you. He found a reason to love you within himself. He wasn't, before you could impress him with, with your good behavior, he found purposes inside of himself to which he could love you with. People ask questions, how could you find it in yourself to, to forgive him? There's nothing in me that can forgive him. But Jesus says, everything is in me. I find purposes within myself for you. I don't have to look outside. I, I don't need to even look at you to decide if I love you. I find purposes within me for you. And lastly, John 17, verse 24 Max, the worship team to, to come back up. The, Jesus prays and he says, Father, I want those who you've given to me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory which you've given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. The, the love that God has before the foundations of the world 
is the thing that destroys sin. That's the thing that takes care of sin. He loved you before, the found, before sin was in the, the world. God had a love for you. And so when sin came, the antidote was already there. The solution was already there. Did you guys see that? Like it already existed for you. And so if there was no sin, his love would still be there. And then here is the magic of it all. He then calls you to love like that. That's what he calls us to be. Now he says, I need you to go and and I need you to love in this same way that the people who I'm placing you in their lives, that you would love them with such a love that they will know that it has nothing to do with their behavior, has nothing to do with their sin, has nothing. And and you, the, the way that you love you, the way that you treat, nothing to do with your behavior. So you have to find purposes that are in God. We hope you enjoyed this message from the Doral Vineyard Church by Denville Leaves. For more information, please visit us at doralvineyard.org.